0: to Young Americans, a weekly DIY depth psychology podcast where we explore differential diagnoses on reality narratives and creative ways we navigate the void. I am one of your hosts, Jillian Masland.
1: I'm another one, Brooke Macbeth. And today we have a guest. Uh, but before we introduce her, I would like to shout out our musician, Joel St. Julian. He is on Instagram at J-O-E-L-S-T-J-U-L-I-E-N. And our beautiful artist, Susie May, also on Instagram at S-U-Z-Y underscore M-A-E. And we are also on Instagram, J-U-N-G underscore A-M-E-R-I-C-A-N-S. I I sure hope I spelled Americans right. Okay. And we have a guest who we're thrilled to have. So...
2: <laughs> Hi, I'm well, Karen Engelbrecht, and I'm um, I'm a licensed midwife, and I practice home birth. Um, yeah, what else would you like to know?
1: Oh man, we're gonna get into some like nitty gritty birthing
2: topics, I think. <laughs> <Sarah. Nitty-gritty. laughs> oh, yeah, I love it; it's my life. Yeah,
0: Kara, <laughs> maybe you could um, give us like a real quick little introduction to how you came to do the work you do, and I know that you live in the Bay Area, and um, just like how that may have influenced your ability or like the accessibility of getting into home birth?
2: Yeah, so, you know, I was always very interested in birth um, as like a younger person. And somehow like the idea of being a midwife didn't come into the narrative for me. Um, I knew I wanted to be a young mom. And when I was 25, I had my first baby and the only book that I read was Spiritual Midwifery. And I took some hospital-based class and I was, you know, young and went in with this idealistic idea that I could like, regardless of, you know, like kind of the narrative around hospital birth that I would be able to kind of squeak by and have like the most lovely home birth style birth in the hospital.
1: Oh, the birth plan myth of hospital birth.
2: (laughs) I fell for that too when I was pregnant. And it was really hard. It was a really hard experience. I stayed home for three days with the prodromal labor and, you know, 10 hours of Pitocin still was one centimeter and got an epidural and went from one to nine in three hours and was really able to kind of like redefine, you know, kind of my narrative around what I was anticipating. And, um, you know, we had talked to some home birth midwives, but it was out of our financial picture like we just couldn't afford it you know and being 25 years old in the bay area meant that we could like barely afford our rent you know and this was now 20 years ago like my daughter's 20 years old the home birth community at the time felt really kind of hard to access in a different way than it is now um it felt very different and it might just be my perspective is different because I'm so involved in it but at the time it just felt kind of impenetrable you know unless I was like kind of fitting into kind of the idea of what those people needed to look like, the home birthers, it was them, you know? Um, And I didn't identify myself as being a part of that group for whatever reason. I think it was really about, you know, feeling a lot of discomfort of, you know, being a young mom in the Bay Area and not feeling really supported around that.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And so three years later, when I had my son... I really wanted a home birth. I was very, very clear that that's what I needed to do. Um, <clears throat> but our financial picture was even worse because now like I'm not able to work. We have a three-year-old and I'm pregnant and there was just no way to afford it. You
0: so- um, Weren't also you a student too when you had your second child? So you I, can-
2: I just finished my bachelor's when I was 37 weeks pregnant. So I graduated with my bachelor's at 37 weeks with a toddler and a huge know, oh and- <laughs> yeah, So like, it, you know, my life, I was just working so hard to like make everything work for myself, you know, and um, had a lot of support from my partner. He was also writing a book at the same time. So the week that he turned in his book, I turned in my thesis and we basically hadn't seen each other for an entire year. And you had and, a field and you were in mean, a field. So we were, and you know, full-time, we didn't have any day- daycare. So probably not a lot of square footage in the Bay Area. No, not yeah. necessarily. And so we ended up having to, you know, like, I would be with her all day Saturdays while well, he worked on his book and he would be with her all day Sunday while well, I worked on my, on my um, thesis project. And so we got it together. We made it, you know, like if anything, John and I can like, we can make it through anything. I've realized. <laughs> <laughs> so I got my bachelor's three weeks later, I went into labor and I had, you know, my three day labor turned into a 40 minute labor, you know, like. I had early labor for a long time with my son. And then I had this like really fast, intense, pretty almost scary feeling birth, you know, and wow. I felt really unsupported in the hospital as well. Again, and was it? um
0: I think I remember you told me he was kind of an unusual presentation, like wasn't my <laughs> son tied up? He was, yeah. <laughs>
2: Oh, so he, was, he was posterior he was sunny side up made none of the cardinal movements just came out like a tray of brownies you know just <laughs> you know two cushions I, I was so like, you finish your bachelor's degree first <laughs> it was very kind of him yeah but I have both I mean I gestate now I have an N of two so I know that I just ate for 40 weeks and five days that's what works for my oh, body oh, yeah yeah and as soon as he was born I was really clear I needed to do birth work I was like okay so now you know By this point I was 28 years old. I had two kids. I knew my friends at some point were going to start having babies and I just needed to kind of get on with what I felt passionate about, you know, and i had studied creative writing and I had done all of these different things and it just felt like something clicked. Like when I gave birth to him, I was like, okay, so there's another way of doing this again, you know, and like what both my births came down to was just feeling unsupported and you know, not listened to and not, you know, I didn't feel like I was able to let go safely in the birthing environment. And, um, and, and that was within the hospital setting, you know, and that was with having a midwife in the hospital for one of my births and an OB for another one. And, and then it was a long process. Like as soon as I had him, I think, so he was born in January 31st and in, May or June is when I went and started my first doula program. So it was a six-week-long program. I brought my baby along and breastfed him the whole time. I met one of my best friends in that program, and we're still really close. We still do births together. And, um, and you know, it was just like this big kind of unwinding process of my own births, you know, I started attending births when Jackson was, I think, six months old. So Ruby was three and a half and Jackson was six months old. And I only did a few births that first year. And then it started ramping up. And before I knew it, I had a really busy doula practice. And when they were three and six, I tried an apprenticeship with a home birth midwife. And it was not the right time for our family. It was like too much. It was too devotional of work while I had little people. You know, like I couldn't give to the practice of midwifery and to school what I would need to give to it fully and authentically to show up for it. And so three months in, I quit my apprenticeship and just felt like, okay, we've got to put a pause on this guy, you know, I'll come back. And so I kept doing doula work altogether. I did a couple hundred hospital births as a doula. And by the end of it, I was just getting kind of bitter. I was just like, I bring in this beautiful labor, you guys fuck it up. <laughs> and then I have to defend your actions later. Like, I hate this, you know, that sounds and like you
1: feel really frustrated.
2: It was so frustrating. It was yeah. so super frustrating. And so, you know, and like multiple times, like I put together a volunteer program at a hospital, I kept trying to fit into the hospital system. And I don't exactly know why there was a part of me that was like, I've always been on the outside. I want to get on the inside, you know? And it just didn't, I just, it was like, you know, square peg round hole, like it was just not gonna work. That validation, oh, go ahead, Julian.
0: Oh, it's just, it's kind of like that illusion of like the righteous crusade where you, you want to feel like you can like come back to this place where you were so disempowered and you felt
2: like all, this
0: was kind of like taken out of your hands where you feel like you now have like the skills and the know-how and the, the capability to, show them up and like show them the better way and that they'll accept it
2: (laughs) right if i could get in there i could like affect more people's births you know like and then i could like really make a difference in the world and i think you know this is when we would have to like call ucsf and and request them to send an application there was no like online apps at the time I think I got it like five times and it would sit there and I would tear it up and throw it away. And then I would start it again and I would sit there and I'd be like, Oh my God, why? What's my block? Like I had to go back to city college and take some classes. Is that the block? Do I need to go get my RN first? You know, it was just like, there was all of these like roadblocks and I felt like we didn't have the financial support for me to, I, I, I just needed to like find the emotional and the spiritual and the financial path into midwifery right and like going to UCSF and taking out a hundred thousand dollars in loans going to city college and that you know to get my nursing degree and then going to UCSF it just felt like there were roadblocks everywhere
0: I feel like this is naturally kind of segueing into the part about um, justice and accessibility and access um, which is something that I I was hoping we'd be able to talk about but even your own story like you know you look at yourself you are I'm a white white, woman you're a white woman and you even like because of your age and because of your background and because of whatever
2: My kind socioeconomic of- experience, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there was like, there was not a lot of access. And yeah.
0: really for even for you. And I think also that kind of speaks to the kind of um, the birth industrial complex too, and the kind of the all of the um, you know the selling and the lifestyle language around motherhood, which I know you both <laughs> have a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: A lot of feels. I mean, I mean things like the loop vision
1: of motherhood, uh, as I have come to think of it, um, of, you know, construct your beautiful birth plan. Here's all the control that you should be exercising if you want all this to be perfect. And, you know, I'm also a white woman and at the time was married. So in the eyes of the medical industrial complex, I should have been really legitimized. But when I got there, it was just like oh, pregnant lady, shut up. And, uh, you know, re- really makes you feel small, especially during such a completely intense bodily experience.
2: Yeah. I mean, the nurse kept telling me that she was trying to answer the phone. I was so loud, you know, she was like, you were so loud that we just kept going to answer the phone, but it wasn't the phone. It was just you screaming. And I was like, yeah, you're having so, a so much shame about the way that I hurt." Yeah. Right. And this was at a hospital where I learned later they have like a 98% epidural rate. Oh my God. A 40 something percent C section rate. Oh my God. That's one of the biggest hospitals in San Francisco. So, like, that's, you know, like, that's how, like, that was my experience of birth and then trying to get in as a midwife that was also you know like i just felt like all of this like i felt delegitimized again and again yeah
1: and how amenable are they to midwives just uh socially i mean like on on an interpersonal level what's that vibe
2: within the hospital hospital, Yeah. yeah it really is different like the there's different cultures at every hospital in san francisco and some of them are great and some of them are less great You know, and that's, it's in yeah, but it's complicated, right? And like, so being a white woman, that's a very, you know, that it's already kind of a hard thing to get into. And, you know, there's, you know, so when we're talking about like birth justice, like I was just seeing somewhere where they were saying like what police do to black men, OBs do to black women. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like that's very true for a lot of women. And mostly I work with white people it's just you know my, my the population that I work with and that's a, of course not 100% I work with a lot of black folks and I work with a lot of people of color that's really important to me to like create access for everyone yeah, But yeah. you know mostly my people are white and so I don't ha- I can't really speak to you know like how people are giving birth in the hospital system but what I do know is that we have some staggering numbers it's like not safe often or women aren't seeking care or they're not getting care like when we're looking at maternal mortality Mm -hmm. we know that black women it's a fourfold increase for black women right and what we're looking at is going to be stroke and heart disease as a result of preeclampsia and other things and so it's creating access to care it's creating more midwives that are going to be able to see people for who they are and and be available for them.
1: And broadening the conversation to people who are outside of Portland, I mean, people should know. That's an outrageous
2: disparity. Absolutely. For sure. Right? Like across the board, Black women are undervalued. But, you know, like as much as I can educate myself, like I would really, like, I think that if you're wanting to know more about the Black experience of birth in San Francisco, there are really great people to talk to. You know, Sister Web has an amazing program. Like there are a group of doulas that are looking to pair black and Pacific Islander and, you know, people of color with doulas that are their same ethnicity and that can speak for them and be a part of that same experience. I think that that's really important. And so that's gonna be for like hospital birthing people mostly uh-huh. and home birth, but like, I, I feel like doulas are really pretty essential in the hospital system, you know? And as far as home birth goes, When I think of home birth in San Francisco, what I'm looking at is in the Bay Area is gonna be the Bay Area Black Home Birth Fund. And so that's creating a fund that, uh, we have two black midwives in the area and they've created this fund. And it's so that there can be access for for black women and black midwives, right? There are two black midwives in the area. Like that's not enough. Wow.
0: by, by the traffic by numbers and the actual population of the area um
2: yeah. and they're in the east Bay. there's none in san francisco that are practicing oh. outside of the hospital
1: am i giving the names of those organizations again just so i can make a note of it and we can hey, yeah it. so
2: there's sister web and mm-hmm. um, the blackberry home birth fund and then what's always a good thing to check in on is the black women birthing justice program
0: they're mm-hmm. really
2: really important Um, And the fourth trimester project is really also an important piece about just like taking care of babies and bodies and getting support. Um, You know, there's a huge amount of, when we're looking at postpartum stuff, of looking at postpartum depression being the most undiagnosed situation for for women. I told you
1: this before, uh, I had a really hard time getting started breastfeeding. And, um, that for me was really difficult. I got mastitis three times and like, I really had no idea what to expect. No one had told me.
0: Totally. Yeah. Um, that I've been thinking just as you're talking about, um, kind of like the hospital and how tricky it is to, to, to kind of crack into home birth. And I think honestly, like for me growing up, I think there has been this like lingering stigma around home birth, which yeah. is like, ridiculously kind of like a holdover from like, you know, witchcraft almost because that is, you know, when you're growing up in the suburbs or whatever in like the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, even you're like that just feels a little fringe, you know, like it it doesn't seem like something um, that you would necessarily seek out because you know, most people like I don't know about both of you, but like my mom gave birth in the hospital. I wasn't getting a lot of kind of like firsthand family um knowledge about it and i think that's so much like speaks to the justice element of like if you're being told like you can't trust yourself you're not like smart enough to understand your own body like you need a professional to do it then you're going to feel super disempowered
2: <laughs> or that <laughs> yeah. you're not going really listened listen to anyway so why mm-hmm. you know
0: exactly yeah like even if you're feeling a certain way And something really just doesn't sound right to you. You're not sure you're in a position because you are, you know, your body is going through this insane transformation. Your mind is like, you're just in a different state of mind. It's like an altered state of consciousness, I would imagine, while birthing. So you don't have the same.
2: Even Serena Williams, you know, the best athlete in the fucking world. Right. Giving birth. And she says, I have shortness of breath. I think I have a blood clot. I've had this before. And they say, no, honey, that's not happening. (sighs) And sure enough, she had a fucking blood clot, you know? So like, there's your risk of stroke right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had preeclampsia and she, you know, had an emergency C-section. Like, it's, it's, it's dangerous for a lot of women. And I think that there's also a part where, you know, within the midwifery model, what we're trying to do is see people as whole people and hold them in this place where they can be healthy. And if you move outside of that, then of course we're gonna, you know, we're gonna create access to to a medical model, to a obstetric model. But like, while people are low risk and healthy, we wanna keep them in that low risk and healthy zone. And do, you know, I follow the same course of care that an OB would follow, but my visits are gonna be 60 to 90 minutes long, right? So, and a lot of that is just checking in, like how's your body, what's the story for you right now? Right. And the last 20 minutes is gonna be, you know, blood pressure, belly check, if we need to do any blood draws or cultures, we can do all that right there.
1: That's such a nice long
2: visit. Yeah, totally.
1: <laughs> a good way to get somebody to be comfortable talking about her night fears, which are common during pregnancy and otherwise.
2: Yeah, totally. I think it's, you know, we've got to build that relationship so that when I come into her in labor, Mm-hmm. That she knows what to anticipate and who I'm going to be. And like hormonally she's aligned, you know, that she's not having that like fear, tension, pain cycle come in in the same way. You know, I walk in and I'm like, oh, easeful. Okay, I can do this. Super <laughs> different, you know. I feel like people at home experience the intensity of labor really differently than in the hospital. Speaking
0: of home, um, what's, do you have like a sense of the the number increase in home births that you've been seeing during COVID? Because I noticed like anecdotally on your social media that a lot of people like who maybe wouldn't have considered it prior to the stay home order became more like (laughs) towards it.
2: (laughs) Honestly my practice hasn't increased that much maybe by a couple of people but um, everybody's kind of chilled out right now like I'm not getting increased inquiry but previous to that I had and mostly I was just trying to kind of parse out like who's actually open to home birth and who's coming towards home birth who versus who's just running away from the hospital because they're afraid of the hospital like are they down for a home birth because it's going to take a whole different set of you know criteria and commitment than a hospital birth so a lot of those calls and emails and even like random text messages was like okay, what was your original plan? Why do you want to do this now? And if it's not like I really want a home birth and this is why, then you should probably go back to your original plan. Right. <laughs> it's different. Like we're all, like when we choose, when we commit to, to a home birth, like we are really like, we're all vulnerable in that situation and we have to build a relationship so that we have some composure of safety within our relationship right? Like that's a really big difference there.
1: Yeah. Uh, dissonance between expectation and reality is really going to fuck with your head, especially. First. Yeah, Definitely.
2: for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Oh man. So there has been some uptick in, there had been some uptick in interest, you know, mm-hmm. like at one point I was like, I'm getting 20 inquiries a week. This is bananas. <laughs> you know, I might get like, you know four a month, five a month, you know, something like that. And, and as far as like how many new people I took on, not a ton. Mm-hmm. Well, this is probably
1: really emotionally and time-intensive, emotionally intensive and also time-intensive for you to do this work. So I can't imagine you can take on a lot of new clients at once.
2: Yeah. And if people are coming in late to care, the piece around that is that there's just also going to be that much more that we have to work on. You know, some people have come in late to care and they're asking for a discount. And I'm like, I'm actually not doing less work. I'm doing more work on a way. Because we haven't had like the last five months to kind of establish this, you know, relationship, get all of your records, get familiar with you, know your story, know you, you know, and and attend the birth, you know. um, So.
1: At what point in the pregnancy do you want your client to approach you?
2: Oh, anytime. I mean, I, (laughs) you know. Before they're pushing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: approach you to retain your services. Like how far would uh, you be if you want? No,
2: and uh, honestly, before they're pushing. Um, yeah, but yeah. for the most part, like you know, most of my people, I don't know. I mean, if they're like return clients or if they're friends, they usually yeah. are getting a hold of me like as soon as they get a positive test. You know, oh wow, so yeah. I can run full genetics um, and do all the lab work and like get all of that done. Wow. Oh. There's some people where they get to like. 26 weeks, they do their diabetes screen. And they're like, wait a second. I've been really thinking about this and I want to turn it on its head. Yeah. Another way. And then there's definitely people who at 36 weeks have a reckoning, you know, (laughs) and they're like, holy shit, what am I getting myself into? This is weird. Yeah. I've approached everything in life.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting though.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the latest that I had, somebody hired me at 36. six weeks we did one prenatal and then the next call she was in labor so I was like six in the morning on her doorstep introducing myself to her husband hi I'm in <laughs> <laughs> so we're signing contracts on the kitchen table while she's like you know moving. You know. yeah <laughs> well,
0: that also speaks to uh, like something that I've always perceived to be a part of the work that you do is like not only obviously you are technically medically proficient you know mechanics of it you know the um you know that end of things uh, having been trained but there's also this huge kind of like therapeutic bond component that you are extending to all of your clients and i can remember you saying just in passing sometimes even the people that you've known their entire pregnancy that you get into the actual birth and there's like these unforeseen <laughs> things that come up so the more like the more time you've had at least to like sound out as much as you can about the person, I would imagine the more useful and beneficial in that moment.
2: For sure, definitely. You know, like people have. You know, we some people come in with you know we come in with all of our life experiences, and some people have like some abuse stuff that they need to work through, and some people have you know like, and that could be physical, emotional, sexual, um, mental abuse stuff, and so. You know, like sometimes that is the stuff that we work on prior to their birthing experience. And for some people, it comes out in the birth, you know? yeah. So that's really a part of that relationship, you know?
1: Pregnancy is definitely one of those life experiences uh, that calls upon a woman to revisit those themes.
2: Uh, For pregnancy, the the womb carriers, there's a lot that we've got that we bring in
1: yeah there really is uh wow
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know um what do I want to say about that um yeah nothing in particular
1: As a little sidebar let's talk about weird pregnancy dreams I had the dream where I was pregnant with a litter of cats and gave birth to them
2: well I had that dream Mm mm-hmm
1: You did? Yeah. I understood later that that's kind of a common dream. Like, oh yeah, you thought that you were giving birth to animals. And I recall in the dream being like, oh, I guess it's cats. Well, okay.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I definitely had the cat dream. I also had the dream where I gave birth and then put it back inside because I didn't want to like leave anybody out of my experience. I was like, we did this, but now I've got to like do this for everybody else. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then there uh, are the scary dreams, like the dreams where the baby's falling forever, and like those kinds of like anxiety, yeah. the anxieties that we're all working out in pregnancy, of like, you know, fear of mortality and right. like, our mortality, their mortality. Will we make yeah, it? Yeah, and happen?
1: the baby is still a mysterious organism because you haven't seen it yet, so you know,
2: uh, <laughs> the sweet little parasites. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs>
0: I wonder, Sarah, I don't know how much time we have left, but I was wondering if there's any of the kind of maybe less mentioned aspects of just like the post-birth that are often kind of like, I feel like they're they're kind of swept under the rug.
2: Well, (laughs) we spend all this time preparing for the birth itself, right? Like, you know, months and months and days and hours of conversation and all of this. And then you actually have this baby for like forever, you know, and... And yeah, there's a lot that gets left out. I mean, your experience of breastfeeding and like what's mastitis, you know, like, you know, mastitis is an infection of of the breast tissue of the milk, right? And so we want to make sure that you're emptying your breasts fully, but not so much that you're creating oversupply, right? There's a balance there. Um, As far as like postpartum healing and mastitis can come in at any time. I've had people get it at six months. I've had people get it at six weeks and some at six days it's yeah. not one in particular time i do feel like people are more vulnerable for it in the beginning but you know just when people are trying to figure out like how much milk to create and milk gets left in the breast or they miss a feed and then suddenly well,
1: he's having a like, hard time latching. so it wasn't
2: uh you know a wound on your yeah. nipple and that's gonna wick infection up into the breast milk and into the breast tissue right yeah so um and then Jillian, just to kind of touch more on like, you know, the down and dirty details, it's going to be like, if there's any, kind <laughs> the smile, you're cute. Right? <laughs> details. I love gross. You know, <laughs> lacerations are a real thing. They're like a big deal and our bodies let go where they need to. And we right. use lots of warm compresses and olive oil and kind of try to hold the tissue together. And I think a part of that is like, nutrition you know I feel like vegans like their poor little bodies just tear a lot more um I feel like there's you know is it provider specific I don't know maybe half of my people tear Mm -hmm. maybe half of those people get sutures you know and it
0: also I mean that comes into like there's so many aspects of there's like the momentum of the baby there's the size there's like many many things that you just don't know until the moment really for the perforations or tears
2: yeah and we'll see you know we'll see like as the baby's head is coming through we'll see it start to blanch in an area and it's like okay mm-hmm. a little more pressure there okay everybody take a breath everybody awesome. in the room take a breath like let's return some oxygenated blood to this area mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just gonna let go because that's where the body needs to let go you yeah, know right. it might be like a hand up creating more diameter yeah, just happens and so, yeah, a little, I mean, their arms are short. They won't go over their head. No, they won't. <laughs> are so funny.
1: Reproduced with a man who has a small head, and I was always kind of grateful for that.
2: It's a good move. Like, when you're dating, you notice the circumference of his head. Oh. <laughs> or if you're looking for a donor, go for the smaller-headed donor. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and some, you know, like, when we are looking at what to suture, it's really about, like, is this, you know, like, mucosa is the skin that's on the inside of our vaginal canals. It's the same as on the inside of our mouth. So if it's like a skid mark or a little split, that's just going to be like, give it two weeks and that that little lady's going to heal on her own. Uh But if you have to return tension to the muscle, Uh that's when we need to suture, right? Uh In my book, other midwives have different points of view. That to me feels really important. The midwives that I trained with, um, I trained with a, a... with a team of two midwives. One was a nurse midwife and one was a licensed midwife. And so kind of got like different perspectives on when to suture. And <clears throat> I feel like, I don't know. I really love suturing. It's very fun. <laughs> you know, it's very satisfying. Well, to like you're like, sure. sure. yeah, I'm a yeah. <laughs> bring the, t- the tissue together and it looks beautiful and the bleeding stops. And it's just like, Oh God, that was so satisfying. <laughs> but You know, but then to like see how it heals, like the things, you know, some people come out with a lot of swelling and so you wanna make sure that that, even if they don't tear, they can come out with just like giant banana labia, you know, and then for people who-
0: Some people have just, um, I forget the name for it, but like just the the skin, the genetic condition where you're gonna scar more, where the scar tissue comes up more. And I I know that that is like just certain people, that's how their skin is. (laughs)
2: yeah there are there are some people who just have you know like their skin integrity is just a little more lax right and they're just gonna need a little bit more suture situations Mm -hmm. um so yeah so after giving birth if you have sutures and sometimes even if you don't it can be really uncomfortable the standard of care within the western model is to put ice packs on it Mm -hmm. which can be really brutal and uncomfortable for people i find hot compresses really create that vascular kind of like need mm-hmm. right? and can really help the blood flow better and it brings a lot of comfort. So I brew up some sitz South herbs and do warm compresses with that in the postpartum and then if there's a lot of swelling you can you know kind of um, alternate between cold and hot instead mm-hmm. of so doing hot packs for 20 minutes and then waiting a little bit and then doing an ice pack for 20 minutes. But I wouldn't go with just ice. I feel like that doesn't work for everybody. and I that gets part thing. of our eastern training is to do ice all the time.
1: I was given uh, numbing spray when I left Kaiser after birth. They were like, "Well, use this,"
2: <laughs> and that was it. it. Can be sweet, <laughs> oh oh <laughs> solar pain spray. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It can be really nice for some people, especially with some like superficial lacerations, especially right. if near the urethra. Right. Right. If yeah.
1: Um, They didn't really give me any other advice, though. Like, nobody said anything about hot or cold compresses or sits baths or any of it. It was just, here are these enormous pads and use this numbing spray because you're going to need it.
2: <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We do a full, like, before we leave, we give three pages of instructions, one for healing your bottom, one for breastfeeding, and, you know, and just kind of a general. Yeah because I feel like there's a lot that can go on for people in their postpartum healing and, and nobody's going to remember. You you
1: have a brand new human organism that you're completely responsible for. And Mm -hmm. like that in and of itself is enough, but then there are the attendant body problems where suddenly your body has been, you know, given back to you, but not really, (laughs) whatever the narrative is around that. And that's another weird thing because socially I had a really strange support network Um, I was the first of my friends to have a kid, so it sounds like you were too. So people didn't really know. We weren't like talking shit on the street about what this stuff was.
2: No, there's not a lot of conversation around it. And that's where I feel like that's the piece around midwifery that um, is actually the sweetest spot is because we come every other day. You know, I come on day one, day three, day five and two weeks and then a final back at the office at six weeks. But those first four home visits, you know, like, I sit on her bed, I weigh her baby, I tell her she's doing a good job. Like, we talk through everything. That's usually some tearfulness. We talk through why there's tearfulness. You know, we talk through sore bottoms, we talk through mastitis, yeah. latch issues, and all that.
0: Well, and Kara, also with your, um, it's not your practice exactly, you have your own practice and you share a space, an office space with a few other midwives and their practices, so you yeah. actually have a post like tiny baby opportunity that you you've created where people can like come to groups with their babies and so there's like a little bit of like a built-in opportunity to segue into a community if you choose to yeah
2: yeah so um there's just two of us midwives in the office now the other two have gone on leave and um so it's just kelly and i and um i was doing these postpartum groups for a lot of years and i um, and I love that opportunity for people to get to know each other. Um, I've since of course stopped doing them given the world, yeah. but, um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of other resources and ways for people to connect and the born doula collective, they have a great postpartum group that Maya DePala runs. Um, Ginny Zeppa at, at natural resources does a really great group. And, um, the birth center is still doing groups. And so I send all of my home birthers to all of these other places to kind of connect with other families and other birthing people and moms and babies and kind of find, find your community. Like there's nothing more valuable for a new mom than another new mom. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah, To have somebody say like,
1: Holy shit! This is weird.
2: <laughs> or my anyway. new mom's group was one other mom, and uh-huh. she would like make me a cup of coffee in the morning. She would pour me a glass of wine at about three o'clock, <laughs> and we would spend the entire day together, like every day. Nice. <laughs> it was crazy.
0: Speaking, speaking of nourishing the new mom, I would love to talk a little bit about placentas.
2: Yeah. <laughs> hey, G. <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you want to know? The-
0: Please like what I know that the general stance mostly in home birth is like if you're down and if you feel like you can handle it then like there's no harm and indeed plenty of benefit in consuming the placenta is that kind of where you are with that Kara?
2: Yeah I mean yes for the most part you know there are some times in which I feel like it's just not safe like if somebody mm-hmm. were to have preeclampsia or if they had GBS if they had like some kind of choreoamnionitis like an infection. Oh. Right? And, you know, for any of those reasons, we would be in the hospital, and pathology usually wants to take the placenta for that, Mm. Mm -hmm. but, you know, that's very few. That might be, like, one or two births a year, and the rest of the births are at home, you know, like, I think I have, most of my people have their placentas at home. If they don't want to keep them, I take them and use them for teaching, Um, but for the most part, our people will take them, will keep them at home, and The question is always fridge or freezer. Like, are you going to have it right away? Are you going to save it and like plant it under a tree later? Because if you're going to plant it, that's not going to happen for a while. Let's put that lady in the freezer. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if they're going to process it, Mm. you know, kind of the idea, and there's never going to be randomized control trials around placentophagy (laughs) because it's not going to be... Never no. going to benefit like a pharmaceutical co- pharmaceutical right. company that would support a big, huge randomized control trial.
1: You're so, not going to have a population of right. placenta producing ladies in the lab. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, they're just, it's just not going to happen. And honestly, so,
0: real, we don't want that anyway. We don't
2: want so, big pharma no. to get there. We want to know what the benefits are and like yeah, the actual yeah. benefits, and I'll never be able to share what that is. You know? Nobody
1: knows. We are not going to be able to find out by the scientific method.
2: Right. Sure also, do you want to know yeah. more about that?
1: I wanna know yes. about the process method. Yeah. Okay.
0: yeah. I mean, I, I can say quickly, I assisted a friend of mine in processing one back in January um, and she had done her own when she had her her two younger children. And then she did um, basically just cutting like the main like fibrous part of the cord off and some of the veinier parts. And then it's just like the softest um, blood meat, it looks like something that if you ate it it would like instantly bring all your iron levels like through the roof it just oh, it looked it looked like something that like like almost like steak tartare
2: but like softer or like it's like, like a, it, it's a filter organ right oh, so it's yeah. got that like quality to it for sure yeah. of like a liver right it's like, yeah, like and yeah. like fibrous and pretty beautiful
0: yeah and so all she did was she dopped it in the Vitamix with, um, with black cherry juice and then froze like little ice cubes so you could put them into like a smoothie or something. And that's kind of like a very like kitchen witch way. I know there are people who are um, certified in like the doing it in a safe way and, and having um, like encapsulation and things like that done too, but it seemed pretty straightforward. <laughs>
2: So by taking it raw it's going to have a different effect than if you have it processed within like, the traditional Chinese medicine model right so having it raw people express that they have a lot more energy that it does return iron to the body so they have like they have this you know the energy that they can get from it can almost feel wiry and the blood building benefits we can definitely see if we're you know we can definitely see that so like for people who have a bleed postpartum, I might say, Hey, you know what? Can I make you a placenta smoothie? I think it would really help. Right. Mm -hmm. It'll help help with their bleeding. It also gives them, I swear, every time I do it, they're like, this is the greatest smoothie of my life because it's just raw oxytocin. It's just like, you have like true love.
1: Placenta should be for everybody then. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. I've actually had a couple of partners like say, you know, like I probably shouldn't have had that. Because it totally gives like major boners. (laughs) People that have been like aching, they're like, oh God, I'm going to run out of placenta pills. And I'm like, just make a couple of tinctures. You know, you can have them for longer and just kind of like titrate yourself off of it. (laughs) But what's always recommended is that you take it kind of early in the day. You take one at a time so that you can see how your body responds. And if it's something that's getting you really wired, you definitely don't want to take it in the evening. If you don't yeah. feel much of an effect, take two the next day and see if that works for you, you know, mm-hmm. until you've like hit that therapeutic dose. Nice. Yeah.
1: Oh, I love it. That's, yeah. But
2: some people like they want to get on it right away and the processing can take a few days. So we'll even parse out little ice, you know, like ice cube pieces, to mm-hmm. have smoothies for like the first three or four days until the processor can get the placenta done. Yeah. Nice. She'll drop that off and then we can kind of start doing the dry version. Cool.
0: Thank yeah. you, I'm just, I love that. I, I just wanted to share.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: glad that, yeah, glad I know more about this now. Maybe um, maybe
2: organ, you know, so, yeah. and apparently yeah. it's also not kosher. That's what I've heard from Orthodox folks is that it's not a kosher meat. And so, there's <laughs> a, yeah, which is interesting to me. Part of like a, a larger
0: conversation around like menstruation and its place culturally I would imagine but I would not wish to <laughs> speculate really
2: yeah, yeah it's it's not information that I know but I but yeah. I just, uh, have had a couple of orthodox clients who have said oh it's not kosher good to know and you're good.
0: like I'll just teach with it then yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I print out of it and I'll throw it in my freezer to teach with later it's cool thanks <laughs> you know, four out of five births are working really well and it can look different for everybody. There's not one right way to birth. Mm -mm. You don't have to do it like everybody else and you don't have to do it in the same place as everybody else. And everybody's going to have like a different experience of what feels correct for their bodies and for their family culture and for their own kind of experience of what they're looking for. You know, there's, when we look at like what people are willing to spend on their weddings versus what they spend on their birth, like I feel like it comes down to the financial picture a lot of the time and people will spend... You know twenty thirty thousand dollars on a wedding like their photographer alone it's like five thousand dollars versus what they're willing to pay on a home birth and the piece around the cost sucks it really does suck you know it is very it makes it cost prohibitive for people like me you know like i couldn't do it but i really feel like we're we're trying to come up with ways of creating access for people what people often don't see is that when they're at the hospital they're going to end up with a copay anyway You know, sometimes that's $2,000 and sometimes that's $6,000 and they don't necessarily know. It's the only industry in the world where you don't know what you're paying for. You just don't know as a consumer what you're paying for, what your insurance covers, what it doesn't cover, you know? So I think like when we're looking at birth, prioritize yourself. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and that also back to what you were saying at the very beginning that I think can't be like overstated in birth and... and really in anything, but especially like you're saying, like your body and you, it's this one opportunity to be having this like symbiotic, um, collaborative relationship with your body that's very, very clear and present. I mean, I'm like first time caller, long time listener about all this stuff you two are like, <laughs> you know, but from what I think, like critical to to really listen to your body, trust your body, like you are saying about um, Serena Williams, try to know what your body's saying and then to be surrounded by people like yourself and your colleagues and people that are in your field who are actually taking that on and aren't just like it's all right sweetheart here like we're at the business end
1: people Um, who are supporting rather than invalidating which most of the medical
2: profession does (laughs) i think yeah it's interesting you know we haven't been able to transfer with people because of covid and I just had a hospital transfer and I was like, oh, right, this shit show, you know, where we've got people between her legs telling her what to do, you know? It was definitely the right place to be for what we had going on. But like, check yourselves, you know? Like, this is a person's body. There is somebody's experience attached to this body. Like, ask her what she wants. This mom is saying, stop touching me. And they're saying, we're not touching you. Meanwhile, they have like, you know, six hands inside her vagina. Yeah, right. Obviously, she knows that you're she's being touched. Yeah. yeah. Even if she's unconscious, you still shouldn't touch her without her permission. Yeah. Absolutely. Ever. Yeah. Like, ever. Yeah. Ever. 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 I mean, consent, like, let's start, like, it's a basic point. And yeah. within midwifery, within obstetrics, like, we all need to be, you have to. You have to ask for consent when you touch another person. And there are times where I see midwives doing that too, where they're not asking for consent and they're just doing exams or they're just touching somebody. That's not okay. It's never going to be okay.
1: Yeah.
2: 100% of the time. Yeah. True. So much of our medical model. And it's really frustrating. It is really frustrating. Yeah. And sad. You know, so when we're talking about like birth justice and, you know, like that's a huge component of it is like consent. Women need to have consent to have their bodies touched. Mm-hmm. You know, also pain management was a feminist issue. You know, women were asking for some kind of pain management in labor. If you want an epidural, go get a fucking epidural. Right. It call, it is your birth. You yeah. know, Yeah. maybe once or twice a year, we have somebody who's like, I'm cooked. I need to go for that. Great. Right? Yeah. Totally support you in that choice. Yeah. Totally no, you're not. Good.
1: Totally, know yourself, know yourself, Uh, feel comfortable advocating for yourself, feel
0: supported, yeah. I mean, like this is a whole other can of worms that we maybe just wanna sidestep today, but that gets into that kind of, um, the narrative you sort of touched on earlier, Brooke, where there's a lot of like cultural, like, I don't wanna go so far as to say shaming, but I think that women do end up feeling, birthing people do end up feeling kind of like put down sometimes by other people within a conversation like, oh, well, I had no meds, or I had this, or I had oh, that, or
1: god. That. I did get an, an epidural. yoga why did you
2: not? Like, you don't have to be a hero.
1: Like, oh my god, the like, there's a yoga class on I took. Like, women asked me, Oh, did you have a natural birth? And it was like, First of all, don't ask anyone that ever. And second, like, <laughs> what? why do you care?
0: Right. Yeah, even like my very closest friends who um, have given birth, I feel like it's not my place to like as curious as I am and as much as I want to know, like, I feel like they can give it to me the amount they feel like they want to, when they want to. And ultimately it's like their experience, they came out of it healthy and well, and their baby is healthy and well. And like, what more do you really need to know unless somebody is actively wanting to share and have that conversation with you?
2: Yeah, private life, what part of private, you know, like, <laughs> I'll take all around this. I feel like, um <clears throat> there's a lot of, again, it's about consent, right? And like, however much people wanna share about their experience. And there's a lot of ways to approach that conversation. Like, are you, do you feel healthy? Do you feel safe? Are you okay coming out of your birth experience? You know, is there anything that you wanna talk about? And like creating access so that they know that there is room to talk about it, but that they don't have to if they don't want to, Yeah. you know? And I also feel like the people who experience a lot of trauma, they're often the ones that wanna talk about it more. So Mm -hmm. what we're not hearing about are like the healthy home births, mm-hmm. you know, like we're not hearing about the people who are unmedicated in their birth very often. I feel like um, they're, they often feel a little bit like, ooh, you know, like it wasn't, you know, my home birth was actually kind of sweet, you know, it was kind of mellow. And, and so on my website, I've put, I've asked, I've invited my clients, like, write your birth story. I'm happy to post it. Let's also yeah. share this narrative of what's going on with birth, that it doesn't have to be this big, like, you know, like the conversations around like was it natural was it this was it a did you get an epidural what was the hospital you right, know, like, right. which hospital did you go to yeah the yeah The fancy one or the less fancy one you know mm-hmm. and it's like well let's just talk about like what birth can also look like right like there's a lot of ways that you can do it and it might be that you were sitting on your toilet cool yeah, yeah.
0: Right. that's <laughs> midwifery i feel like they're forever like squatting over the bucket
2: <laughs> <in> that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a birth stool, so it's kind of like a glorified toilet seat with legs, you know, that you can move into the living room, which is really cozy and comfy. We all know how to relax on the toilet, right? So, yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we do.
0: Our cultural relationship with the toilet, sometimes it's all about a squat, right? Like sometimes that's sitting right. down.
2: Like, not <laughs> and how many people top. can't say butthole or poop, you know, it's like... Like, how many people have ever actually looked at their vaginas? I want to thank everybody, but there's a lot of people who are like, oh, I don't look at that. You know, I don't yeah. touch that. You know,
1: sure. like, like, oh, that's gross. I would never look at that. Like, what? <laughs> yeah.
2: Say the word. Get in <laughs> yeah. there. Say the word. Get yeah. in there. Yeah. Find your cervix.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Give it a cute nickname. That Give me, it. You
2: know how dilated that cervix is at some point. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'll often talk my people through their own vaginal exams, you know, like. Yeah they've never felt their cervix dilating. They've maybe never felt a dilated cervix, you know, like, okay, so put your two fingers inside and what do you feel? How many fingers can you get into it? Can you open your fingers? How much space between the opening and your pubic bone? Mm-hmm. Do you feel your baby's head? Do you feel like, a, does, it, does it feel like there's like a balloon in front of it? Or do you feel hair, you know, and like get them to kind of talk through and like, okay, in your surge, now feel yourself, bring your baby into your hand. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then they engage in it in a way yeah. that they didn't know that they could you know? yeah yeah
1: it makes the birth experience so personal it's lovely well yeah
0: what could be more personal
2: <laughs> I know I know yeah. I'm
1: not lying on a bed with everybody surrounding you like okay shut up but push really hard
2: yeah no there's no counting there's yeah no counting. yeah you know it's just like I see more head when you do it like that good job do it again you know oh. like Get into it. Do you want to listen to some music? Awesome. Also okay to have it quiet. Or, we can all tell you, you're beautiful. What would you prefer? <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, let's see, what else was on our notes of things that you guys wanted to cover?
0: Um, I feel like we might've pretty much touched it, um, unless there's anything that you extra specially like would like to take this opportunity on a soapbox to to say to anyone really like to somebody that's thinking about birthing anybody who's thinking about perhaps maybe finding their own way into midwifery or anything really you know that you want to share
2: yeah i mean we're still one percent of births there's not a lot of us right and i think that what i really want to also give props to is like where all of this came from like you know this tradition came from the granny midwives it came from black women right and it came from the the, you know, Mexican-American midwives that, and the Latinas and like, you know, there's like a big rich tradition that we have pulled from. And I think that it's really important to acknowledge that part of it. Um, and I'm really grateful for the practice of midwifery and that it gets to look different for everybody. And it's the time pregnancy is when your body works for you. It's the only time when we're looking at like medical ideology, ideology, where your body is actually working with you and it's not failing, right? It's like working. Mm-hmm. and so whenever we are at the hospital it's always astonishing to me because I'm like oh this is the way in which you work all the time and it's just like you know maybe 20 percent of the births that I'm at end up in the hospital and so that means that like
0: mojo right now that's fine too <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, um do we have anything else Brooke I feel like I feel like that might be Sarah. I hear
1: think- Good. Yeah, I mean, Kara, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, oh, you're
2: welcome. Kara. Happy to about it.
1: I Think I'm technically past childbearing age, but if it ever were to happen again, I'd want you there. Oh,
0: <laughs> about in that garage of yours, and you're not there. in that garage yet,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Masland. There is time for you. I don't
2: know, I'm having <laughs> a bit of a, you dead, have a baby. I'd love to.
0: Dead Gremlin. I've always hoped that that would be something that we had, we could collaborate on, Kara. So
2: so joyfully collaborate with you, Anytime uh, I'm supporting this dream out loud, just <laughs> just- <laughs> <Thanks and> donors. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's for real, <laughs> got to call it in. He's your I a
2: small head though.
0: <laughs> I, I got a big old coconut myself. I don't know if that's really, I don't think that 50% out. Well, head of-
1: my head's kind of big too, so it evened out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's a lot of hair too. I was born with a full head of hair. So. Right,
2: you're just a mermaid right now, Jillian. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's really bumming my mom out. I think she's of the generation where you have to cut your hair off when you're over 30. Don't do so it. She's like, sure looks like you haven't gotten a haircut. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> 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 and, then the, uh, and then the woman who cuts my hair has just had to reshut because of COVID. And so last time I was like, I'm just never cutting my hair again. This is my life now. This is me. <laughs> she's just like, Ooh. <laughs> <I'm> just- <laughs> feral, wild creature that you're just gonna have to, like, put up with on FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, yeah. Yeah, my mom's always, like, giving, getting at me to, like, cover my grades, and I'm like, are you kidding? I worked really hard for these guys. Those are the, the
1: wisdom one. highlights. Don't get rid yeah. of
2: that.
0: Yeah I know I feel like Kara every time I see you I feel like you get like more radiant and like stronger (laughs) and I'm like wow look at Kara she's like riding that bike and she's got like her hair looks so good and she's like strength strength to strength Engelbrecht.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you I try to keep myself healthy just because it's what makes the births a lot easier to recover from.
0: Definitely. And it's easier
2: (laughs) to stay up all night if I am eating well and exercising and sleeping when I can. I'm a terrible napper, though. I really wish that I like could strengthen my nap program.
0: Do you think the cats could help? The, my cats have helped me a lot with <laughs> models. Don't yeah.
2: get me wrong.
0: They're little gurus in that <laughs> field.
2: <laughs> medicine, nap medicine.
0: Oh, and they're purring. Oh, you're the vibrations cats. of cat purring is not to be... I mean, I don't know that a pharmaceutical company will ever do a double-blind study in that, but the results speak. Yeah. Selves.
2: i definitely sleep better though when i have a cat right here and i can see the other one and i know the dog's on the floor and i'm like all right we're out
0: they Ooh. create a little like force field uh well i think uh we should maybe let you get on with what you're getting on with Kara. thank you again so much for
2: yeah my pleasure good to talk to you both
1: it was wonderful to have you thank you
2: thank you take care ladies you too bye, bye. bye.